Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. When you have anxiety because of how long a problem is lasting, or because of how long it's taking to get what you want, how do you replace that anxiety with peace? James is going to use farmers to teach us how to do it. James 5, 7. Be patient, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See, the farmer waits for the valuable crop of the land, being patient until he receives the autumn and spring rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. patient for how long? I mean, when is payday? When will God come and fix this problem that's in my life right now? Because that's always the question, right? Anytime you tell an impatient person to be patient, the very first question is going to be, for how long? Well, answers in verse 7, James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. It's like, oh, the Lord's coming. I mean, that's, won't my problem be solved before that? Can't I get some resolution before that? Um, yeah, your problem can be solved before that partially, somewhat. But, but listen, any resolution you have to a problem prior to the second coming is a temporary Band-Aid. That's all it is. It's a partial resolution at best. God might heal you of some disease you got, some problem you got, but guess what? You'll just get another one. You'll get some other physical problem. He might fix a problem in your relationship, but even then, even after it's fixed, that relationship's not going to be all that it should be. He might take away certain problems. They're just going to be replaced by other problems. That's what this life is, the life in the curse. And don't get me wrong. We're thankful for the Band-Aids, right? We're thankful for the temporary partial bits of relief that do come in this life, but that's not our hope. That's not what we put our hope in. Our hope is in the second coming. Just like we sang, I wish I would have saved that song, Lord Jesus Come, until after the sermon. Uh, you'll, you'll maybe appreciate it more then, but that's when our hope is. Um, I, I mentioned before that being told to be patient doesn't automatically make you patient. That's because the comfort doesn't come from the command to be patient. The comfort comes from focusing on the second coming. That's payday. That's resolution day. That's the hope that will carry us through the current suffering. This was really a good passage for me to be studying the week before I left for vacation last week. Um, Tracy and I celebrated our 25th anniversary by going down to Cancun with all the kids. So we're down in Mexico and the whole family, and it was, it was great to be down there. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, we got down there, and uh, there were some problems. The whole place, first of all, was just packed, crowded with a bunch of obnoxious partying college students. Uh, super crowded. And we, then we had a problem getting our rooms. We finally got our rooms, and, and Tracy and I walk into our room, and instead of the king bed, there's two separate beds, which, you know, my first thought is we didn't make it to 25 years of marriage happier than ever by sleeping in separate beds. Uh, so this has got to be fixed. On top of that, the pillows were hard as a rock. The AC didn't work. TV didn't work. Shower didn't work. We had to go up five flights of stairs to Josiah's room to take a shower. We went golfing one day, hit a car, and had to pay for the repairs of the car, and 
Uh, and but the food was great, but even though the food was great, we all got sick, and so we couldn't enjoy it all week because we're all sick. It was the perfect vacation for learning the principle of adjusting the deadline of problem, problem resolution to the clock of divine providence and putting our hope in the second coming. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't... I, I, it's not like our suffering was like their suffering in the book of James. You know, these people that, that James is writing to being persecuted and unjustly convicted in court, denied wages, and their lives are threatened, and some are being murdered and all that. Uh, nothing like that. I mean, it's not like we were being tortured in some horrible prison like Pastor Saeed and so many Christians around the world. Um, I, I don't want to overstate our suffering. We were on vacation in a Caribbean paradise uh, in an all-inclusive resort. Uh, but it's amazing how sometimes the smaller the suffering the harder it is to remember biblical principles about suffering, right? And, and vacation can be one of the hardest times to put your hope in the second coming. I think it's probably the hardest time to put your hope in the second coming because vacation is a time when your expectations for comfort and ease in, in, in a problem-free life uh, right now are at their highest. Our vaca- uh, when we go on vacation, we try to, basically what we're trying to do is create our own little second coming sometimes, right? And, we, and then we put our hope in that. I want this to satisfy my hope. But I can tell you from personal experience, right now, after having spent a whole week down in an all-inclusive resort in a, in, a, in a tropical paradise, that even in a place like that, there is far more joy to be had in looking forward to the second coming than the, in the best of what this world has to offer. And we had a great week doing that. So... So, what does this look like in practice? I mean, what is it? It's, practically speaking, what does it look like to be patient? If you have, if you have two Christians, one's patient, uh, tomorrow, you go to work and one Christian goes to work tomorrow and sits in his office and he's patient for the second coming, and there's another Christian who's also waiting for the second coming, but he's not patient, what's the difference? What, the, what, what does patience look like in practice? Well, James is going to give us three examples that are not only going to show us what it looks like, but show us how it's done Uh, The three examples are farmers, prophets, and Job, Uh, but we're only going to have time for the first one today, just farmers. So let's take a look at that, verse 7. See, the farmer waits for the valuable crop of the land, being patient until he receives the early and late rains. You too be patient. So James commands us to imitate the patience of the farmer, and then he gives us some clues in the way that he describes the farmer that are going to help us understand how how the farmer does it. Farmer is a perfect illustration of someone who understands about a delayed payday, right? Because there are some of you who probably, as soon as you saw where this sermon was going, were disappointed. Because you, 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 you have this horrible problem in your life, this painful ordeal, and you, you want to know, how do I deal with the anxiety of this problem in my life, this current situation? And then as soon as you heard where I was going with the sermon, and, and it's, it, the answer is, be patient until the second coming, it's, like it's not the answer you're looking for. I mean, you see, like, sure, I understand payday will come when Jesus returns, but that just seems so far off. It's just so distant, so... I mean, what if, what if I've got this problem? What if I think about the second coming? And it doesn't help. It doesn't, I don't feel any better. I have just as much anxiety as I did before. How is it possible to gain comfort and hope from something that's so potentially so far off in the future that it doesn't even seem real? 
Well, it's possible. It is possible if we can learn to think like a farmer. That's what we need to do. Because no one has to wait longer in between paychecks than a farmer. No farmer puts a seed in the ground on Monday and then Wednesday morning expects a harvest. Nobody. No farmer does that. He doesn't expect payday on Wednesday. He doesn't expect it on Friday or the next Friday or the next Friday or even months. it's, It's a year, right? He gets one paycheck a year. That's it. And yet, does he lose his motivation because it's so far off? I mean, are farmers known for their laziness, typically? Does that, that's, that's, that's pretty much what it is like a, uh, on a farm, right, Andrew? You, just, you, you, you plant your seed, and then you just watch TV until, until the harvest, right? <laughs> no, if a farmer does that, might as well keep watching TV during the harvest because there won't be a harvest. Farmers somehow manage to maintain their motivation. In fact, farmers are known as the hardest workers in the whole society. Why is that? Because if a long delay reduces motivation, then farmers should be the least motivated of all. And yet they're not. It's just the opposite is true. Why is that? What enables farmers to stay motivated even when the reward is so far off? Well, take a look at verse 7, what he says. He says, see, the farmer waits for the valuable crop. NIV says valuable. Your Bible might say precious. It's the word normally used to describe like precious stones or precious jewels, uh, precious metals. The, 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 the point is the farmer's patience is connected to the value or the preciousness of the crop that he's waiting for. The reason he's waiting, willing to wait a whole year and work, is keep motivated, keep working hard that whole year is because of how valuable that harvest is. Yes, it's only one paycheck a year, but it's a big check. It's a big check. It carries them through the whole next year. Can you imagine how hard you would work if you only got one paycheck a year and, and, and it was totally based on performance? Can you imagine how hard you'd work? I mean, you get only one check a year. A lot is riding on that check. It's everything. Everything is riding on that. See, most of us don't understand that. Most of us can get by on a bad check. You get a, you get a bad week, you didn't work much, and you get a, low, a small paycheck. You can recover. Just the next week, you can get a better. But, but a farmer misses a paycheck. He can't recover from that. Everything's riding on that harvest. See, when we're not encouraged or motivated by the second coming, the reason is very simple. We're not convinced of its value like the farmer is of the, of the crop. Either that, or we've got our hope in lesser things, alternative, alternative things. We're fix, fixated on a much smaller partial resolution to our problem. We have our hope set on the, our little imitation second comings that we make. Or we do what people, the people in verses 1 to 6 did, and we just try to do, counteract the discomfort in our lives by living in luxury and self-indulgence. We don't want to adjust to God's timetable, and so we just come up with, our, with, with substitutes for the second coming. But the farmer doesn't have that option. He doesn't have any other option. He doesn't have any substitutes. The harvest is everything, and so everything he does all the time is just focused on that harvest because there's no other paycheck for him. If your life is a catastrophe right now, or you're in some excruciating pain with no end in sight, you probably have no problem putting your hope in the second coming. But the more temporal joys you have in this world right now, the more prone you'll be to put your hope in this world. 
So if your life is fairly comfortable right now, try this. As you go through your day today, take notice of every earthly pleasure or joy that you can. Take a moment to thank God for it and enjoy His love through that thing. But then also ask this question, what's wrong with this thing? I mean, even the best of earthly joys have something wrong with them, right? You might enjoy a delicious meal, but it's fattening, and so you have to stop eating sooner than you'd like. You might have a great car, but one of these days you know it's going to break down. You find a great camping spot in the mountains, it's amazing, but in the evening, mosquitoes come out. Now, be careful with this. The last thing I want to do is turn you into a pessimist who sees the negative in everything. That's not what I'm trying to do. Don't stop with just noticing how this world's joys fall short. Notice how they fall short only for the purpose of reminding yourself that the new earth God will create won't fall short in those ways or any other way. So you enjoy the pleasures of this world through gratitude, and then you increase your hope in the second coming by thinking about how much better the new world will be. Let's pray. Father, you created the heavens and the earth. Yours is the power and the thunderstorm, and you guide every wave in the sea. Each day, you think of a new configuration of clouds that has never been seen in history, and you paint the sky with sun rays and water droplets. You give flavor to food, comfort to pillows, growth to trees, and life to my body. You prepared a place for me in this world long before my grandparents existed. The delights I enjoy were set in place by your hands thousands of years in the making. And now, you are preparing a place for me in your father's house. What marvels must be brewing in your infinite mind as you plan the construction of the new earth. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.